in the series that we've been on, we've been talking about Moses and how Moses' story really began with God's glory. And, and, and Moses, his story, the story that he tells, the story that was compelling to others, so compelling that they made him put a veil on, but the reality was this began in God's glory. That's where his story began. And so we've been looking at Mount Sinai. We've been looking at Moses and God in this moment and what God says, because I think oftentimes we think that glory just means the presence or, or the ooey-gooey's we feel with God. But the reality is the glory of God was being revealed in what God said in as much as what Moses was to see. And so we're trying to go through what God said to see how that glory can then transform us today. Because God, he said, I'll show you your glory. Moses asked to see his glory. And this is what God said. These are the words God said. We looked last week at the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And then he says who he is. He's continuing to describe himself. This is the I am, the God who was, who is, and always will be. He's gracious and compassionate, or compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. This morning, I want to look at God's declaration that he is slow to anger. And I'm going to pray in just a moment, but when I think of that reality, when I truly wrestle with the promise that God is slow to anger, it's a, it's a fulfilling, it's a peaceful promise for me. God, I pray this morning as we look at your glory, that we're transformed. God, I pray that as we spend time focusing on what you've said, on who you've called yourself, God, that it brings about in us change and transformation that is, that is readily seen by others. This morning, as we look at your word, as we spend time in the scriptures, God, I pray that you would allow us to have ears that hear what you're speaking. Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves unto you. Every thought, every idea, everything, God, every word that I might speak, that it would be ordained, appointed by the Spirit of God. Lord, that your will would be accomplished in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's interesting, uh, Moses and and God, and in what God says, that he's slow to anger because of the relationships he's had with God's people. Uh, The fact that, that, that the people of God have just created a golden calf and and Moses came down with the commandments once, and then he went back up. I mean, it's interesting that God, in describing himself, he's saying, I'm slow to anger. Other translations of this say that God is long-suffering, or God is, is patient. And you talk about a people that God has revealed his patience to. Last week we were in Nehemiah chapter 9, which I said was kind of the Old Testament conclusion of Israel's history. And, and they finally made it back to Jerusalem. The temple's been rebuilt. Uh, the walls have been rebuilt. And Ezra, the high priest or the priest, has discovered the law. He's read it. People are transformed. In Nehemiah chapter 9, they reference the same glory of God. 
But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. They didn't obey your commands. They refused to listen. They failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked in their rebellion and appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Their history wasn't the greatest history. I mean, look at how they're described. They're a stiff-necked people. They're arrogant. They didn't obey God. They refused to listen. They failed to remember. They, they, they became more stiff-necked. They appoint a leader to return to slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. I think it's easy looking at Israel. We see Israel and they're up here and they're obeying God and everything's good. All of a sudden someone gets a bright idea, they start complaining or they they find a golden calf and they start to worship it and they end up down here. And then God says, go defeat these people. They listen to God and they win. And God says, don't fight these people. They don't listen to God and they get their tails whipped. And, and, And so Israel, it seems like as we watch their history in Scripture, I don't know about you, but I look at them and I'm like, hey, don't fall down this path again. Like, don't keep making the same mistakes time and time again. And don't do that again. You've done that once. You should have learned it from what happened before. And I look at Israel, and I'm saying that over and over and over again in in Scripture. We're looking at them, and we're seeing them repeat these same ebb and flow and, and listening to God and disobeying God and honoring God and dishonoring God time and time again. But what does God say even in this last moment where finally things are coming back together? God is faithful to forgive. He's slow to anger. He's long-suffering. He's patient with the people of God. Every time Israel repents, what does God do? Every time they mess up, what does God do? When they repent, when they acknowledge God, He continues to to forgive. He's long suffering with the people of Israel. They're talking about their ancestors and, and how stiff necked they were and, and the mistakes they made. I mean, can you imagine God when, when the people of God, I always look at this Exodus that's before the law, they come out of Egypt and people start to grumble and moan. They want to go back to slavery because they think it's better than the wilderness with God. Yet they seem to follow the same pattern time and time again. But God, who is God, He is He is long-suffering. He's slow to anger. He's willing to forgive them time and time again. I love the glory of God that's revealed through a God who is slow to anger. A God who is patient. I want to look at a New Testament example of God's patient this morning. And I want to look at, at the book of First Timothy. First Timothy, Timothy was a young man who was pastoring in the church or he was pastoring people in Ephesus. And Timothy wasn't a man who was out there on his own, but he had an incredible mentor. His mentor, the guy that helped him understand how to do this, was Paul. And Paul had an understanding of the church in Ephesus. See, he was there in the book of Acts. We see him meeting with these people. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I want to help you lead through a challenging moment with these people. Because much like Israel, the the, the church in Ephesus just continued to seem to make the same mistakes over and over again. 
And so Paul, I think he's he's crazy because I was a young minister once and I know how I dealt with situations. And when there was a problem, I didn't do it in the right ways. And I probably stepped on toes and I hurt people. And so Paul is saying, hey, young Timothy, I need you to go take care of this problem. He literally tells Timothy to take care of a problem. But the crazy thing about Paul, if you go to Acts chapter 20, that's where I want to be first. So you'll all be there because I get to click it. Acts chapter 20, uh, we see Paul's relationship with the elders in Ephesus. So as I read this, what is the problem in Ephesus? Keep your watch, keep watch over yourselves in all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he has bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. So what is the struggle in Ephesus? What has Paul been warning them about for years? There's people who are going to come in and they're going to distort the truth. There's people who, who are going to come in and they're going to distort the truth to draw disciples away to follow themselves. Paul has seen this. So this was written seven years before Paul sends this letter to Timothy. And he's still writing to the same church about the same people. But guess what the problem is in 1 Timothy chapter 1? As I urged you, when you, when I went, went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus... So you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So what was the problem? Back, back in, in Acts chapter 20, you're going to have people who will arise and distort the truth and in 1 Timothy, seven years later, this is ten years after Paul started warning the church in Ephesus, the very reality of what they're dealing with is people teaching false doctrines, following myths and genealogies. Now, I'll finish this. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. I want to talk about the patience of God, and it may seem like an interesting place for me to be talking about the patience of God. So put yourself in this situation. Timothy is a young pastor who I said probably most young ministers, if you get a chance to kind of uh, uh, you get the liberty to command others to stop doing what is wrong, we, we run ahead and we do it all the wrong way. When I was a young pastor, I was not defined by patience. Patience and, and long-suffering or, or, or patience and being slow to anger did not define me. Because most of the time, us young guys, we're just ready to roll and, and we're going to do whatever we need and we're going to do it now and we're going to do it and we're going to step on toes and we'll figure it out later. And Paul is, is putting Timothy in a place. Now think of your Paul. Have you ever been there where you said to someone, hey, don't do that, and then they did it? And then you watched them do it a second and a third time? 
And you're just sitting there and you're just saying, man, if you just would have listened to me the first time, you wouldn't have the problem you're in now. And you want to look at him and say, nana, 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 I told you so. I mean, I've got to imagine Paul is wrestling with emotion in these moments. Like Ephesus, he warned him about this. He said, I've talked to you about this day and night for three years. He invested three years of his life warning them about what was to come. Seven years later, or ten if you want to start at the beginning potentially, Timothy is there at the church in Ephesus and they're falling in the same hole again. And Paul's instruction to Timothy, yeah, you're to command them, but how are you to do it? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is going to have Timothy, this young pastor, rebuke to change, to to, to help this church come to change. But he's saying, hey, before you do this, I want to show you the heart of God in correction. It's got to come from love, a pure conscience, and, and and a sincere faith. And so Paul then, we've been talking about our stories. To teach Timothy, Paul begins to tell his story. What does this kind of leading look like? Because Paul recognizes that in this moment, it is important to look at the glory of God and reflect God in this moment, not ourselves. So 1 Timothy chapter, uh, I'll come back to that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are sincere in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. Another translation of this says his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is teaching Timothy to lead with with the reflection of God's glory, to lead with the patience of God. And he's saying, Timothy, let me tell you what God's patience looks like. Look at my life. Listen to my story, Timothy. He says, God in his immeasurable faith, in his immense patience, considered me worthy to be used of him. This is who I was. These are the things I did. He describes himself how? The worst of sinners. Acts, we get a good look of what this means. As Saul approved of their killing him, Saul was Paul. He approved as people were killing. That was Stephen. Saul stood there and approved that. But Saul began to destroy the church. This is Paul going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He persecuted followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. Acts chapter 26. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priest 
I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down with, with, with in foreign cities. Paul was saying, man, this is my story. This is who I was. I was the worst of sinners. I stood there as they threw rocks at Stephen and approved it. I, I accused others and made sure they were put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. I hunted them down. Yet God, in His immense patience, Paul is doing 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we who all with unveiled faces, we contemplate. He's considering, he's beholding, he's looking at the glory of God, the glory that was revealed when God said, I am the God who is slow to anger. We reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Suddenly, Timothy, if you can learn from my life, I learned about the patience of God, the immense, unlimited patience of God when I saw what He did in me. Matthew chapter 18, Peter's talking to God, to Jesus. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or other translations say 70 times seven times. Behold his glory. I can talk about Israel and I can talk about Ephesus. But what about your life? What about you where you've seen the God with unlimited patience? The God who has been faithful to forgive you each time you, you prayed, each time you asked Him, He was faithful to forgive you. Second Peter chapter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, when is he, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters, also the of the, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for a day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like the day. The Lord is not slow 
and keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I can't tell you how many times today, this week, I had a conversation. I'll be honest. I said, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. You know, I look and I, and, and I see all that's going on and I see the problems and, and issues with the church and, and with our country and, and everything else. And, and, and oftentimes I recognize my heart saying, Jesus, are you, are you coming back yet? I mean, I'm ready. Like, this is enough. And the glory of God is revealed. And the glory is that He's not slow in keeping His promise. As you and I understand slowness. He wants everyone to come to repentance. The long-suffering of God. The patience of God. The, the slowness to anger of God. It is compelled by His heart that His children, that, that His creation would come to repentance. His desire is, it doesn't matter how many times you've fallen in that pit. His desire is, it doesn't matter how many times you've been down that road. How many times you've got off the tracks. His desire is that God wants all to come to repentance. I want to contemplate His glory. God is slow to anger with me. His desire is that I would just say I'm sorry. His desire is that whatever is keeping me from His fullness, whatever is keeping me from His plans for my life, that I would just repent. Repentance is acknowledging sin and turning from it. That's what repentance is. You know, there's an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, and he wants to whisper things in your ears like God won't forgive you anymore for what you've done. This is the the 13th time, the 14th time down this path. God won't forgive you anymore. But Jesus has said, no, I want to forgive you. How many times will God forgive you? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. As many times as is needed for you to experience God's plans for your life. You guys can come forward. God, when he appeared to Moses, he looked at him and he said, The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate God, the one who is slow to anger. We who with unveiled faces, we contemplate We behold His glory.
have you seen the God who is slow to anger in your life? You know your story. Paul knew his story. Paul knew his problems. We know Ephesus' story. We know Israel's story. But what about your story this day? Can you recognize the moments where God has been slow to anger? Maybe you're living in that moment right now. Maybe you acknowledge, much like Israel, there's the ups and downs, and you're in a valley right now. But I want to tell you this morning, God is faithful to forgive. He is the God who is patient. He is the God who has long-suffering. And so this morning, all He desires is for a heart of repentance so you can be back on track with Him. He's not going to condemn you. He's not going to laugh at you. He's not going to point fingers at you and say, I told you so. He's going to love you. He's going to care you. He's going to reveal His love to you. But we, we contemplate. God, I pray in this place show us your glory. God, we talked about your grace and compassion. This day I want to talk about your patience. Holy Spirit, I ask for your highlight in these moments. God, I pray that we can recognize the moments where we, where we saw, where we lived, where we experience the, the unlimited, the immense patience of God. The moments it didn't matter how many times we failed. It didn't matter how many times we, we made the same mistake. It doesn't matter if this morning you're making that same mistake. What matters is that God is slow to anger and His desire is repentance. His desire is that you would just acknowledge His place in your life and you would experience His plan, His will, His goodness. It's not too late. It's not too many. Because Paul said it's about a love. A pure love. That God has for His children. God, let us receive your glory. Let us experience your glory 
and be transformed by your promise. It's in Jesus' name. As, as they lead us in this chorus, I, I want to open the altars. And I, I want to open them for you, not for pastor. And I just want to encourage you to find a place at an altar if, if you need to, to have time with the Lord, if you need to repent for something, if you've acknowledged that, yeah, there is a place in my life where, where I need to experience the, the perfect patience of God, the God who loves you. Take a moment this day to experience His goodness. If you need that moment that affirms that God is. If you need to take captive the thought that the enemy placed, that that God just, He just won't forgive you this time. That's a lie. That's not the truth. God, He's slow to anger. Long-suffering, patient with my imperfections. The altars are open. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, we behold, we observe, we reflect the Lord's glory. I can't help but be in awe of a God who is patient with can't help but be transformed when I think about the times that God has been faithful with me. The times that I didn't deserve to continue to serve. The time that I didn't deserve the honor to be called pastor, husband, father, or friend. But God, but God, He is slow to anger. He's patient Just waiting for me to say, God, I need you. Just waiting for me to say, God, I'm sorry. And every time, he's faithful to forgive. Every time, our dad's just waiting for us to come home. wanting to show us how much He loves us. Contemplate His glory. Consider His name. Be transformed by your story. The Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. And may you know a God who is patient, long-suffering, and slow to anger. Amen? Be blessed.